from the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. And Zeus White muscles in the first touchdown of this championship game, and Georgia claims its first lead. Young. Touchdown! On the run, he found Latou. Tides first touchdown, and Alabama reclaims the lead. From the pocket, launching downfield, underthrown and intercepted. Keely Ringo has an escort down the sidelines. All the way to the end zone, and Georgia is going to conquer the Crimson Tide. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go on this Tuesday, Cofield and company. Adam Candy is here. Ari as well in our Finley Toyota Studios. So we get rolling with a set of highlights from the Georgia win of the CFP Invitational. Nice job there. We'll get into the Bulldogs in just a couple minutes, get into the Immediate future of college football as well. Charles Arbuckle is going to join us towards the end of the hour. College football expert. Also played at UCLA. Played in the NFL. What's up, Candy? Steve Cofield. How you doing, buddy? Steve Cofield, how are you today? I am doing great. Steve Cofield, how are you? I am doing so well. I'm good. I'm good. You so well. Like you're, so you're, well. It's a good day. You sound like good, you're good uh, extra fired up. Is that real or... Memorex. Oh, is, is, is that real or, or is that for the Is air? that real? Is that real? Is is Joe Judge being fired real? Oh, if that's real, then this is real. Oh, oh it's, no. it's all real, buddy. It's oh, all no. real. We are going to go full ESPN on this one. West Coast affiliate. Let's spend a lot of time talking about no, the no, no. organization in the National Football League. I'm now, just, tell, I'm just telling just saw you it, why I'm excited. I, I just saw it come down. You should be excited as a Giants fan. At least there's some light, some glimmer of hope, because what was unfolding the last couple of days with Joe Judge, including a note that Joe Judge wanted a hand in picking the GM. <laughs> that was that was totally hilarious. Uh, so you get a little ray of sunshine here as uh, what exactly came down? They just decided to move on him. And like, why did it take a couple of days? So it's interesting because John Mara had said the owner of the Giants that the plan was to essentially get far enough into this process that you allowed the new GM candidates to have some input into what was going to go on with the coaching situation. That's what Ralph Facchiano from Sportsnet New York reported this morning is that that was the plan. And then by this afternoon, Joe Judge was gone. Now, they've been meeting with him. Ownership had meet, been meeting with Judge the last two days. But a story like the one that came out about Joe Judge, the head coach of the Giants, wanting to pick his next boss had to be enough for the ownership to say, dude, you are trying to fire yourself. You are working as hard as you can to get canned, and they did it. So what do you think happened? Joe Judge and his pablum finally convinced, you know, him sitting in front of ownership, they were like, oh, my God, we didn't realize how bad this was. Or did every single GM candidate they reach out to say, I have no interest if I don't get to pick my guy, and I don't want your guy. I'm going to tell you what I think actually happened in terms of the timing here. So yesterday, Dave Gettleman 
air quotes, resigns. He retires. He's retiring, yes. Yeah. I think Giants ownership being as family-oriented and bass-ackwards as they really are decided that they wanted to give Dave Gettleman the day to himself in terms of the news cycle. I don't think they wanted to get the Joe Judge stuff mixed up in the wash when it came to Dave Gettleman having a day to retire because he'd had a hand in Super Bowl wins for the Giants way back when. And so they go ahead and do it today. And for look, I'm just saying this much. As a Giants fan, the guy won 10 games in two years and in a YOLO situation, like the last game of the season in week 18, he ran a quarterback sneak twice from his own four-yard line. That's enough to fire anyone. Yeah, it was pretty cool. If there was a, a way to send a message to ownership that you're not an NFL head coach, uh, that was the way to do it. And listen, uh, this will be one of the themes of the show later on. It's another Bill Belichick guy who turned out to be a disaster turned out to be a really weird or borderline poor communicator. I don't know if he was hated by people in the organization and his players, but there's been a track record here with uh, you know some of the weirdos from the Belichick coaching tree. Uh, big news in town tonight. We've got a couple of games. We'll get to UNLV here in a second. I'll be over covering that game a little later in the evening. That's an 8 o'clock start against New Mexico. We've also got the Vegas Golden Knights, which is a really weird spot. I'm not saying it's your traditional – sense of urgency spot because well they, you know they actually haven't been playing that well they got the win against the rangers but they've lost what three or four but they also are looking at a little bit of a layoff after this one so should be interesting and they get the news today well at least we get the visual today of jack eichel like really being around the team candy this is christmas day i don't care that it's january 11th this is what golden knights fans have been waiting for And this is the opportunity they have to feel excited about a team that they really have been, let's be honest, lukewarm about for most of this season. This is the moment where if you've been waiting for some razzle-dazzle, some pizzazz, something to feel really good about, well, Golden Knights fans, you got nothing else to wait for. Jack Eichel on the ice tells you that within a couple of weeks, Jack Eichel is probably going to be at least practicing and getting close to playing again. Now, the goal was always for him to be playing around the Winter Olympic break. But you might even be a little bit in front of that with Jack Eichel in a non-contact jersey, at least back out skating on the ice for the Golden Knights. It's Trending at 3, presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. We got so excited coming out. There's a couple of things that are trending. Uh, Running Rebel Basketball trending tonight. A lot of stories around this one. It's a mess around the Mountain West Conference. Just saw that San Diego State has a uh, cancellation or two on the way. You know, the Rebels were just down for a while, starting in the middle of last week. They've got some rescheduled games coming up. This one was originally on the schedule, and it's been very touch-and-go. New Mexico, 8 o'clock at the Thomas and & Mac, and uh, the latest we know from Kevin Kruger, he had a press conference yesterday, at least a press availability yesterday. They do have the minimum amount of players to play in this game, but beyond that, he really didn't give much more on who the players are. If it's seven players, which is the minimum, if it's eight, if it's nine, he did throw in there. Uh, Players are going to have to play some different roles. Some may have to come to grips with the fact that they may have to play 40 minutes. So quite the storyline going into this one. And it's really a story that's unfolding all around college basketball. Uh, Rebels need this win. This is not a great New Mexico team, but who do they have? We have no idea who they have. 
maybe Kevin Kruger's available. I think he probably used up his eligibility, but uh, Kevin Kruger will send out a roster tonight that we really don't know much about, and they're going to be on the court for the first time in 10 days. And this is the part that is just so unfortunate in Kevin Kruger's first year, is that the guy brings in basically a completely overhauled roster and is trying to find some level of continuity, right? Just something where he can say, this combination of guys works. Getting these guys on the court together seems to get some flow going at the offensive end, and it's just impossible. And I don't know that it's going to be possible the rest of the year for UNLV. You're almost in a similar situation, Cofield, to what you were with Marcus Arroyo after year one, where, yes, Marcus Arroyo went 0-6, but the roster in and out and up and down and who's available makes it really difficult to evaluate what the year was. I think this is different because it sounds like this is going to be a 14-day deal or so. You don't know the lingering effects of COVID because everyone's affected differently by it. But the, I think the issue with the Rebel football team was that thing, their battles with COVID, and it was very covert. We never really found out about you know who was out, why they were out, who had COVID, who didn't. I think that ran through a lot of the Rebel football team, but it took like a month to run through, and you had touch and go up until game day for like four or five straight weeks. This, the Rebels should come out of this. I'm not saying they're going to be completely healthy like in the next two games, but they should come out of this inside of two weeks, and then you should be able to build some continuity. Now, the schedule could be jacked up, and the other difficult part about it is the, the schedule is going to be a bit condensed at times. Like, coming up next week, they're going to play on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, which, you know, in the NBA, that's kind of normal. In college basketball, it's a little bit different. Like, I think next week their turnaround – is going to be basically, what, San Diego State on Tuesday on the road, then two Air Force, Colorado Springs on Thursday, then back home they play on Saturday, and they're going to have, like, you know, more of a traditional NBA road trip where the Tuesday and Thursday games are going to go straight from San Diego to Colorado Springs. So, yeah, a little bit of a wrench, a little more difficult. But beyond that, I don't think it's that similar to college football last year uh, because the availability of players I don't think will be hampered. And the other one was – you start going deep on a college football team, you know what happens, right? If, you, if you're if you obliterated on the lines, I mean, that's tough to recover from. If you're playing threes and fours on your offensive and defensive line, that could turn into a mess. Yeah, I agree with you that it's not the same across the line in terms of who's available and who's not. But I think you just mentioned the key part in there. Can't control the other teams, right? You can't control when you're going to be able to get on the court at any given time. We know what it looks like right now. Yes, it yeah. looks like they're going to go Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. We don't know that. We have no idea if they'll be able to do that. And you can look at the actual on-court effect and say the coaches in the Mountain West for years have fought going to a Thursday, Saturday, or Friday, Sunday schedule because they hated having to prep a team on one day in between games. And now this first-year coaching staff is going to be asked to do that twice. So how much of a read do you really get on what their abilities are as a coaching staff, even beyond who happens to be available for the team. So, you know, look, it's not like it's different than what anyone else is dealing with. It's just that for this program at this point, when you're trying to get some level of juice and excitement back around the program, it's just an unfortunate set of timing and circumstances. New Mexico basketball expert Jeff Grammer coming up in about 15 minutes. Remember, no Richard Patino coaching on the Lobo side, so he'll tell us about the New Mexico situation. But coming up, we got a lot of Raiders stuff to get into. Uh, obviously, the Bengals playoff game on the way also. Uh, looking ahead to next year, kind of cool. The schedule, at least from a matchup standpoint, the opponents have all been listed for the Raiders, and 
I think there's some pretty good road trips for Raiders fans, and we'll gauge what kind of crowds we're going to have in town at the Al with uh, new opposing, some new opposing uh, fan groups coming into town to check out Vegas against the Raiders. Nova Home Loans brings you Trending at 3. It's a refi rate at Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer, 877-700-NOVA. Back to Cofield and Company. Touchdown passes the same. He gets more passing yards a game, over a yard more attempts. But Joe has less talent, a younger roster. It's a losing franchise and a significantly tougher division. And in the biggest game for both teams out of division, it was Kansas City. Burrow was amazing. Aaron was available. <laughs> Colin Coward making a push for Joe Burrow to be the MVP, comparing, contrasting Burrow with Aaron Rodgers. Of course, the Raiders will face Joey B for the second time this season. First time around for the Raiders didn't go that well, especially in the fourth quarter as they lost 32 to 13. Is it irresponsible too soon to look ahead to next year? Yeah, maybe. But let's have a little fun for a second, Candy, with the uh, playoffs on tap here and the Bengals hosting the Raiders. It is interesting to see with the final records in the schedules, not specific dates, but at least the opponents listed for the Raiders. The home games, the teams coming here, same as always Broncos chief chargers beyond that. The Texans, these will all be games at the L. The Texans, the Colts, the Cardinals, the Niners, the Patriots. Texans, Colts, and Cardinals, I would assume, would actually be good games for the Raiders fans to get into because I think the prices will be cheaper. I don't see any of those fan bases traveling very much. And then the Patriots and especially the Niners, that'll be a hoot. Those will be tough tickets to get. So at my count, Half of the teams coming to Las Vegas next year do not know who their starting quarterback will be. Ooh. That, that should be very interesting for the Raiders, considering, barring a Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers move to Las Vegas, I think Derek Carr probably got himself 2022 on Sunday night. So that being said, I look and I see the Texans. We have no idea who'll be the quarterback for that team. The Broncos absolutely are making a quarterback change in some way, shape, or form. The Colts, I don't know that you can bring Carson Wentz back after what you just saw, right? Yep. Like, I, I'm, tell me I'm wrong, right? I, no, you're, not, you're the not Indianapolis wrong. Colts. There's no way. No, I think it's up in the air, and uh, I think Frank Reich said that yesterday when he wouldn't comment on the future with Carson Wentz. The Niners, I think, will have Trey Lance, so they'll have a Maybe. I think we know right. who think the quarterback the is going to be. I think we know who the quarterback is going to be, but I don't know that he's very good. The road games, you know, non-AFC West road games, the Steelers don't know who their quarterback is going to be. The Jaguars will have Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Rams, we know, with Stafford. You just mentioned Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. Uh, Titans and then the Saints. I don't know who their quarterback is going to be. So, yeah, the, the quarterback mess continues next year, and, and it's really one of the things that, the Raiders benefited from and 
I, I don't. I'm not going to knock him for it. Hey, un, you know, an unpredictable, uh, unknown quarterback situations down the stretch because of injuries and COVID. You know, tough noogies. Uh, Raiders had lots of problems too. You know, let's line up losing your head coach and then having your uh, one of your star wide receivers uh, kill a local. Um, you know, the Raiders had their own obstacles to overcome. Um, I wanted to throw out there the road trips for Raiders fans because, you know, Raiders fans are going to be interested in traveling. We've seen them travel pretty well. The non-AFC West road trips, this would be my ranking of places I'd want to go to. Number six is Pittsburgh. I've been to Pittsburgh. It's fine. Uh, but who knows when the game is. I'm not going somewhere where it's going to be colder. Uh, Jacksonville gets banged around all the time, but I'll take the weather. That's whoa, fine. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a second. Jacksonville over Pittsburgh. Yes. Woo, baby. All right, go on. Go on. Yeah. Rams four. Seahawks. Seattle three. Uh, Nash Vegas. Nashville, Tennessee Titans, number two. And clearly the number one trip. If anyone hasn't been to New Orleans, you go to New Orleans for Raiders at the Saints. Uh, look, there was no question when they saw this list that Steve Cofield noted New Orleans yeah. tourist was yes, going yeah. to be picked that yeah. as the number one. How you don't put L.A. as the number two is just absolutely beyond me. But the, the, L.A. is clearly easily number two on that list. Well, the uh, Chargers, the, the, you already have the Chargers trip. So I don't do I need to do two L.A. trips? Maybe, maybe not. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because because you do uh, you do one trip to like uh you know santa barbara or something like that come on down for the game do another manhattan beach trip go see the stars right see it could be, it could be fun it's gonna be great but um santa barbara yeah yeah why not uh pittsburgh is gonna outrank jacksonville look i don't care if it's cold or not i would rather go stare at the pittsburgh pirates baseball was it what we call it a pnc park these days i would rather go stare at that empty beautiful stadium for baseball than be anywhere near Jacksonville. Period. I, I, it could be 10 miles an hour wind. It could be three degrees. Don't care. I'm going to Pittsburgh. Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota. With the testing and how often we're allowed to do it, it, it we still don't even know who could be coming back, who could you know, still be out. So uh, the challenge for us this last few days was just making sure everybody, as much as anything, is just kind of open-minded to playing this role for a little bit, playing that role for a little bit, even if it's not asked of them very much. Again, this is a group that they enjoy playing. Even when we had the numbers we did for Air Force, they were they were upset that we weren't able to go, you know, because they, they wanted to play. Wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. Wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. Wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. Just a little bit of... Right back here on Cofield and Company. Yep, a lot of wiggling going on with uh, the schedule. Games being canceled, games being rescheduled. This game was on the original schedule. Now, that doesn't mean that the teams are going to have full complement of individuals around this one. New Mexico tonight at the Thomas and Mac, 8 o'clock start. Jeff Grammer covers New Mexico for the Albuquerque Journal. Jeff, first of all, how was the trip into town? Because I know you've been through some uh, travel hells because of flight cancellations and COVID. You guys, uh, you guys treated me much better coming to Vegas than uh, Reno did sending me back home last week. That was uh, that was a rough one, man. I got back. How long, were you, how long were you stuck there, and did you grow to love Reno? <laughs> so I was. So I was, I was supposed to fly out about nine a.m. Um, I on, on a Sunday morning, the morning after a game there, and uh, I ended up getting home at twelve thirty a.m. Monday. 
Um, I, I think I left Reno about five or six o'clock and then I was in Phoenix for, for a while. Oof. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was a fun, fun time. It kind of showed why, um, UNM, other than this trip, actually, uh, the UNM Lobos will charter the rest of the season. They, because it's a direct flight to UNLV and they had already had everything booked, they decided about a week and a half ago, they, they'll move money around if they have to, but they'll charter the rest of the season. They, they were not chartering prior. All right, well, let's talk COVID situation around New Mexico. We know last year with football and basketball, it was a living hell. Uh, no Patino tonight. Explain what's going on with Richard Patino, and then explain if it's affected the rest of the team. So he, Saturday morning, woke up and had symptoms, just the, the same symptoms everybody's heard about by now. Um, you're supposed to check yourself, and, and he did at home. They had home tests, his wife and they have three kids, and they had some home tests. So before he even went into the office Saturday morning, uh, the day they played Utah State, he, he took a home test and, and tested positive. Um, they verified it later with, I, I suppose, a more accurate test or something, but he never even went into the office Saturday morning. He had been around the team and the coaching staff all through Friday evening, so the, you know, kind of the assumption was that everybody just was waiting for, for other symptoms to show up and other signs to show up in the in the program. Because UNM, frankly, is other than a, they had a player in October who missed nine weeks because then he developed a heart condition, Saquon Singleton, who is now a starter. Other than him, they, they haven't had a COVID case on the roster yet this year. Um, that one was even before the season started. So I, I think the Mountain West has been hit. I, I I might be wrong, but I think every program has been hit now but UNM, um, other than Patino. So when it happened Saturday, the, you know we were all waiting for another text message or somebody to let us know, but... You know, no symptoms since, and, and unless there's a surprise from when they went this morning and, and did some morning shoot-around stuff, um, everybody was available, and that includes staff and everything. So other than Patino right now, the Lobos are, are at full strength of what full strength is for them. They're, they're down three centers, so, um, but not COVID-related. Yeah, I want to talk about the personnel here in a, a couple of minutes. Cofield, Candy, Jeff Grammer is up with us. So no Patino tonight, so who's coaching? Eric Brown, uh, who people here probably know. I don't, I don't know, obviously, the level of fandom you have for UNLV basketball. You may not know the assistants, but he was an assistant here under Marvin Menzies. He was the lead recruiter on Bryce Hamilton. And he, he got Bryce here, and Patino has now told him, um, yeah, good job with that. Why don't you get me a Bryce Hamilton now? Because we need it. Like he, he wasn't all that thrilled looking at game film of UNLV and seeing Bryce and realizing that Eric was the guy who got him there. So he wants uh, Eric to, to to do the same thing. Eric was the coach on Saturday, by the way, um, against Utah State, and the Lobos played really well. Um, frankly, especially because they're down centers and are kind of adjusting on the fly, they 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 played really well. Eric was the, the head coach or the acting coach for the proper title on Saturday, and I thought they did that because Isaac Chu, another assistant, had the scout, and they didn't want to move the guy that had the scout out of basically his role, which is on the bench to, you know, shout out all the instructions. You don't want to sidetrack him or distract him with also having to talk to the referees and, and just do all the other things that a head coach does. So I thought Eric Brown was the acting coach with Isaac Chu taking um, or just doing his scout like he normally would, and they would switch it because Eric Brown has the UNLV scout. Instead, things worked out well enough Saturday that they said, let's just keep it how we had it Saturday. So Eric Brown, who has the scout for UNLV, will also be acting head coach tonight. Jeff, you mentioned Bryce Hamilton and the role the coach had in recruiting him, and I think there's uh, there's some question, at least in 
Vegas as to the level of Bryce Hamilton, right? I understand if you're in a new coach situation, you'd be happy to have that level of talent overall. Uh, what we've seen here, though, for a couple of years is that it, he gets the points in volume, right? Uh, it tends to be on a lot of shots, etc. cetera. Uh, how does New Mexico look at Bryce Hamilton, what they have to do against him? I, I think Bryce is a guy, first of all, because of the volume scoring, um, that on a team that, did, you know, you know, he's not the offensive threat that they they feel they've already kind of faced. I think Utah State's a, a really efficient offense that they just faced and a 20-point scorer in, in Justin Bean, but also four other positions on the floor at any given time that could hit shots in Utah State. So um, it, it's a different approach. Um, I do think that the, the approach here with Bryce and the respect that they have for Bryce is in the scoring, but I do think that they realize that, like, look, his history is sometimes he tries to take over sometimes. Um kind of a trait that you don't want your players to, or you want players to have that trait, right? You want them to be leaders, but I don't think that Bryce has always displayed the, I guess, right mix between taking over and, and helping the rest of the team, you know, be a better team. The other five guys on the floor, the Lobos have a player like that right now that even though he averages four and a half assists a game in Jalen House, an Arizona State transfer, even though he's averaging a bunch of assists and a bunch of points, they're really trying to get him to figure out the mix between going and attacking and being your high-volume scoring self and, and even getting those stats like assists, but also figuring out how to get your teammates involved at the right times. And I think that's sort of what Bryce's deal's been, right? Like, he does come up with the stats. It's hard to argue on any given play he could look like an NBA talent, and yet have they had the success that you would think a, a team in the Mountain West with an NBA talent would have? Probably not. In fact, not probably not. Certainly not. You know, he hasn't had that success. So, I think that they know that Bryce can probably be lured into um, trying to take over a little bit too much, and uh, I don't know how exactly you go about doing that, but I think that's a, that, that's what they'll try and do is, is kind of use Bryce's own, I don't want to say ego, but his own confidence against him. He knows how good of a player he is, and he tries to take over sometimes. Yeah, I'm not sure uh, patience or helping everyone out is going to be the number one goal tonight if Bryce Hamilton is playing, if they only have seven right. players. He might have to take uh, 35 shots. Um, on the New Mexico side, House has been really good. Mashburn, this does not surprise me at all. I thought this was an unbelievable get for Richard Pertino to bring Mashburn along with him. Um, is Mashburn the guy that the Rebels have to stop, or is it actually House? I, I Well, it's interesting because, first of all, I'll say this about Mashburn. I've been just you know floored by how mature he is and handling everything he he talks about teammates that aren't getting a lot of minutes and in, in, in what they do in practice as leaders, even though they're not playing. He talks about how, you know, their shortcomings and stuff. Like, he's, he's as mature a Lobo as I've covered in a long time. They used to have some several, you know, fourth, fifth-year guys. He's only a second-year guy. Um, I, I really love covering Mashburn, and he also has a game that I haven't seen in a long time because it's a lot of mid-range, a lot of pull-up jumpers. And um, I do think UNLV fans will like watching his game. Um, he's probably not the guy you have to focus on because I think he's so good he's going to get his. He'll get his 15 to 20 every single night, quietly, a lot of nights. Um, I think it is Jalen House. I think as he goes, the Lobos really go. He's a high energy. He's, he's the quickest guy on the floor in every game they've played so far this year. He is not afraid to shoot you know, from anywhere on the court, and his shooting numbers show that. You know, He doesn't have a high percentage, but he can take over three or four minute, you know, five, six possession stretches where it's Jalen House and nobody else on the court knows, you know, what to do to stop him. But that includes his teammates at times. They don't know what he's about to do next. And I think if you can stop him or frustrate him 
I, I think you can really frustrate this Lobo team because then you have to, if, he, if you take Jalen House out, then you do have to move Jamal Mashburn over to the primary point guard position, and that's not his, his game. He's, he's okay at it. You're taking away his scoring ability. You have a good point guard off the bench who's a great shooter and K.J. Jenkins, but you don't want him having to be the primary ball handler either. You'd rather him be a catch-and-shoot guy. So I think if you stop Jalen House, that's what you're going for when you're playing the Lobos. But the other thing you're going for is, is you're trying to go inside. They don't have any inside presence offensively or defensively. They're basically a five-out small ball lineup at this point. Jeff Grammer talking New Mexico Lobos against UNLV. Running Rebels tonight, 8 p.m. start over at the Thomas and Mac. And, uh, Jeff, there, there have not been a lot of fans at the Thomas and Mac this year. In particular, we've seen that decline in attendance over the past few years. You wrote a couple of months ago in the Albuquerque Journal about the season ticket base struggles for the New Mexico Athletic Department, which is still in a little better place than uh, than yeah. UNLV has been. What has the attendance been like? How has the New Mexico Athletic Department tried to deal with what the situation has been in Albuquerque? It's remarkable how much um, local fans... Look, Albuquerque is a city where you run into anybody around town and they swear their families had season tickets for 50 years since the pit opened, you know, generations handed down, stuff like that. Um, and they, they just think it's miserable. I can't believe how few people are there. I can't believe they announced 9,000 when it looked like only seven or 8,000. I'm like, hmm. well, guys, like I promise you that around the West, and not just the Mountain West, but around out West, like the season ticket base of over 7,000, so that they're starting at 7,000 on every announced attendance. It's starting at 7,000 because they've sold that many tickets already. Like That's not bad. It's not what the pit used to be. But nowhere is what it used to be, you know. And and I just think all things are relative. Um, Lobo fans think it's just a, a shell of what it used to be, and it may be, but it's still one of the best out west by far. Yeah, I was going to say uh, fans better get used to. Actually, the teams better get used to some changing home environments because uh, if the Rebels trip is still on to take on San Diego State right now, the Aztecs are shut down, and I'm pretty sure they have a new rule going into effect that their crowd has to be fully vaxxed, and you have to have the booster. Or a test yep. within a negative test within 24 hours, and uh, uh, trust us, uh, trying to get a negative test within 24 hours right now is uh, virtually impossible. So even San Diego yep. State, which generally has you know 10, 10 and a half to 12, the sellout number, that place is going to be half full the rest of the way. So the things are going to change. I mean, that doesn't mean the teams are going to go on the road and win easily, but the environments Jeff are going to be different. Absolutely, and I, I think it's look. We, we all know what it was last year, and I. I know the team I covered didn't even get to play a home game in the state of New Mexico last year. So, look, nobody's complaining relative to what last year was. Everybody knows it was worse last year. But it's still, it's a rough environment. It's hard to, you know, it's hard to, it's just not the same environment when you can hear the ball echoing, you know, when you're dribbling, you know, for a free throw, and you can hear it echoing off the walls. And that's what a lot of the home environments in the Mountain West might be over the next six weeks. Jeff Grammer with us. Let's wrap on this one. Not not the greatest note, but uh, I want you to talk about the uh, the former center for the Lobos who left and is now in just a grave condition after a car accident. Yeah, yeah so Jethro Muskingum, for those that don't know, is a, a transfer from Kansas. Uh, Patino recruited him pretty heavily to Minnesota, and uh, he ended up at Kansas, a, a four-star guy, was didn't play a whole lot at Kansas. Such a great offensive talent, a great off-ball shot blocker, maybe not a great on-ball defender, but he, he was the starting center for the Lobos. He had some, some disagreements with the coaching staff, but very close to friends uh, or to teammates, uh, very friendly with a lot of them. 
and uh, left the program December 20th after basically being benched. And uh, but still on good terms. You know, they didn't like the basketball part of it, but the, you know, still friends with everybody. Still like you know. That was December 20th. Uh, Nevada actually played at Kansas on December 29th, and he went to that game. He was back home uh, or seeing some friends in Lawrence, and I went to a game that night. Him and a, a female friend, I don't know the relationship, but a female friend were driving home from the game in Lawrence, and near Topeka, a single car rollover, um, I believe she fell asleep is, is what the law, the police report says. He's now in a coma, and, you know, that, that should say enough, but I, I can tell you that, it is as bad as, as it could possibly be. And I, I do think that the Lobo players, same with the Kansas players who are friends with him, are, are certainly all preparing for the worst. He has family from Haiti, where he is from, that uh, I think they are still waiting. I don't know if they're in the country yet, but they are waiting for family to come see him in Kansas. And, and he is still in a coma. It's been rough on the Lobos. Even though he had left the team shortly before this, that's something that, the you know, it's been weighing on them because you know, he was roommates with three of the players. And uh, it's uh, that's what's going on there certainly much bigger than basketball. On the basketball side, he left a, a hole, obviously, on the on the roster, um, and they do hurt at center because of it, but uh, something much larger than that's going on, and he, he's in pretty bad shape right now. Jeff, appreciate the spot. We'll see you at, at the uh, TNM in a couple hours, okay? Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. There he is, Jeff Grammer, Albuquerque Journal. Tonight, $5 tickets upstairs. They're rolling out a bunch of new ticket initiatives uh, at the Running Rebel Games the rest of the way. $22 tickets downstairs so take advantage of it unlvtickets.com eight o'clock tip so you got plenty of time to get ready for the game eight o'clock tip as new mexico's in town take on your running rebels join the conversation on twitter at espn las vegas bryce and will thanks for your time we'll let you head back to your locker room i'd like to say something can i say something absolutely you know these two guys that are sitting up here they're not defined by one game these guys played great for us all year they're great competitors they were great leaders on this team uh, and they, they they contributed tremendously to the success of this team. Now, back to Cofield and Company. I just want to thank them for that and let everybody know how proud I am of these two guys. Thank you, Coach. Yeah, I thought that was cool after the game. Nick Saban making sure to uh, thank his star players, and both guys were completely down in the dumps. And, you know, with uh, college football, I think, uh, too often social media starts to apply the standards they they use for pro athletes and we forget that these are young guys and this you know it's a big moment for NFL players but it's a really big life altering moment at least that's what the kids think so uh, I thought that was pretty cool by Nick Saban Charles Albrockle uh, played college football played in the NFL he knows around both of those worlds he joins Cofield and Company here in Vegas how are you man I'm good how are you guys doing I'm good I thought last night's game was a pretty good game uh, I think people were getting a little crazy about you know, saying there was a lack of offense early, there was a lack of touchdowns, but there was a lot of offense. It turned out to be a hell of a game. You know what, for all of us, uh, there were many of us banging on Stetson Bennett. He shoved it right down our throats, and when he needed to make a couple of big plays, he got it done. Yeah, man, I used to tease him and call him Joe Kane from the program, you know. Uh, same size, with the same number, and just, you know. Uh, and, and Hollywood, you can make a guy like that look good, and I think Stetson Bennett made – Made true on the Hollywood connection, man. Uh, walk on, fought off a lot of competitors. Um, I didn't, I, I wasn't sure. I was one of those people the last game. Hey, where's JT Daniels? But it was something that Kirby saw in him and just kept his, his teammates saw it in him. And I could tell that by how the defense played. 
you know, that defense, they didn't show up worth the crap the last game, and I, I thought the loss was more on them, more than just Stetson Bennett. But I think as a team effort, man, whenever you got to beat a bully up, you got to knock his butt out, right? I can remember when I was a young kid down in Beaumont, Texas, like this older kid beat me up. My uncle, rest his, you know, rest his soul, he, he said, hey, look, you got to go back down there and fight him. And you got to go beat him up. And he was older than me, and I was a little scared, right? I went back and beat that dude up, and after that, everybody in the neighborhood was like, don't mess with that little kid. <laughs> if you get him pissed off, he'll come after you. And I think that, you know, that's the thing with Stetson Bennett, man. I never see him backing down. I always see him just battling. And I got to give him a lot of credit for that. But I also got to say that defense was just nasty. And, you know, I hated to see what happened to, to the kid for Alabama blowing his knee out. But, guys, at the end of the day, that's what happens in football. The next man's got to come up. And I think you saw that with this defense showing up offensively. They they scored points. And I'll tell you, a guy that didn't get a lot of credit, but James Cook, Dalvin's little baby brother. I thought he was nails. That big run and then that touchdown that was a free play, basically, he was in position to have a huge block that allowed Stetson Bennett to throw that nine deep. You know, the block field goal. It's just so many different I mean every game you have those turning points yep. and there were times in that game where you could just see it and the thing about it you saw NFL caliber kids that aren't quite fully there but they were playing their butts off just leaving it out there. So that's what I loved about the game because you're going to see a lot of those guys on Sunday. You're going to see in, in the four year span at Alabama you're going to see what 35 or 40 of those kids go pro and in the four year span of Georgia, 35 or 40 of those kids go pro. So that's the part of it. That doesn't mean all of them are going to be Hall of Fame guys or, you know, long-time NFL players. But you could see last night it was about, hey, look, who can continue to just keep throwing haymakers and who could stand up to it? And that's what I loved about that game. And I, I think Nick, at the end, I thought that was the best thing for him, not only what you guys just played, but what, he's, what he told the Kirby. You know, it was an honest moment. Hey, man, you guys got us in the fourth quarter. How many times have you played with, played against your, a guy that you loved and respected and you wanted to kick his butt, but at the end of it you said, look, you got me. Good deal. Let's, 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 let's go have dinner uh, after, you know, in the off season and, and, and relive this because it was an epic moment for both of those guys, especially Kirby Smart finally getting over the hump. Well, going back to your comment about beating the bully, I mean, obviously Kirby worked with and under Nick Saban, forever did you think kirby coached a little bit differently as the game went along and you know went went on the attack got more aggressive to actually get yep. the win and get over the hump yeah i think he did and i, I told people that all leading up to the game i said it was going to be who played chess better than playing checkers and i think sometimes in those games against nick kirby was playing checkers and he he would get out coached or his team wouldn't be prepared in a certain manner but that game last night it was different. They had, Georgia had a different feel, and each time Bama made a big play, whether it was that long pass to, to the tight end running down the sideline, guys going and getting him. And I just kept saying, hey, that's a turning point. They don't give up a touchdown here. They stay in the game. And each time they made them kick a field goal, that was just a little chip at the armor of Bama. Because most teams fold under that, right? Yep. A&M beat them. And it was one of those situations where, yeah, they had a you know epic night from a quarterback who's not even there anymore. But each time Bama made a big play, it looked like 
Kirby and his guys just said, okay, we have to make a And it was just like, okay, they made one, we're going to make one. And I think he probably told them, look, there are going to be times in this game where we get down, Stetson Bennett fumbling the ball, or, you know, the ball's called, called a fumble, and some people thought it was a forward pass. How do you come back from that? And that's the thing that I can always remember great coaches getting you ready to say, look, it's not how many times you have those, those moments where you have success in football or life. It's really the times how you're going to come back from it. And I thought we saw that in a lot of instances last night, especially on the Georgia side, trying to get that first championship in, what, 40 years. So you mentioned Georgia turning away Alabama multiple times in the red zone and you know it only resulting in a field goal. Do we need to lob some criticism the way of one of the Saban rehab guys and Bill O'Brien in the game he called? Yeah, I mean, a little bit. I, I thought there were some times where Bill probably wants some of those plays back, right? Some of those things that he decided to do and some of those instances where they got in the red zone and, you know, that big sack where – you know, Bryce Young's trying to get away, and the play before they had a chance to score a touchdown. You know, sometimes you get, you know, a little bit too cute or you overthink something, and maybe he did there. But I can't, I can't fault Bill much because you lose two major weapons in Mechie and Williams, Williamson, and, and I mean, Jameis Williams. So I don't, I don't think you can say, oh, well, he got out coach. Maybe he just, here's the thing. What did you guys think when, when, when that big weapon came out, when he caught that pass and we all knew he blew his knee out? I couldn't look at it again. What, what was the first thing that came to your mind? I was thinking, like, as a coach and, and as a former player, those guys in the coaching box are just like, okay, who is going to take that X or Z position? Who's going to do this? Who's gonna, I mean, you don't have a lot of time to think. You have that, that break before they kick off, and then you got okay, or break for the commercial because he was hurt. And I thought they did a really nice job of not letting that fall to them. But I thought the game really was a turning point there because that was a huge play they just make, but you lose your best weapon and your best player at that point. So, you know, I, I think Bill O'Brien got outcoached in a few instances, but I think for the most part they did a nice job of keeping it together and trying to get those young guys to step up. Uh, the freshmen that they had planned, you know, that we know that are going to be good. I thought the one guy that I wanted to see play better for him who didn't really show and, and may have hurt him a little bit was Billingsley. Billingsley is this kid that's got all kind of natural ability, but he hasn't been consistent throughout the years, and I thought that showed up. But but for the most part, when you get into games like that, it's going to be some plays that, that turn it around, and I think we saw that um, it just it, we just kept seeing it. I mean, guys flying to the ball, knocking people around. Man, it was that was the part that just got me juice watching the game last night. Buck, tell me where I'm wrong with this because I feel like I'm probably missing something, and I need someone with your knowledge to tell me what I am missing. Because when I heard about the injury and the fact that Jameson Williams wasn't going to be able to come back in that game, of course you think it's going to have a huge effect. You know, Mechie's already out. But I also think back to 2017 when a freshman kid who's thrown 50 passes on the year comes in at halftime for Alabama and Tua Tagovailoa leads them to a national championship. The story we always hear with programs like Alabama is that they're so loaded that their twos and threes 
can beat everybody. And I know you're talking about bringing in a guy mid-game. It's not like you had weeks to prepare, but they have had a whole season of developing those receivers. So am I thinking that it's too easy for someone to step into the kind of role that, that Jamison Williams had if you're in Alabama? Well, I, I think what it is is, you know, which guys are ready to, to really get in that moment. I mean, Devontae Smith was ready for it, right, as a freshman. So, and I think when Tua came in, when they made that decision, they had to have a guy, and they saw that. They said, you know, a lot of people had talked about watching Bama leading up to that, and even the, the coaches that were around the, the program that have since left have said Tua was, was really ready, and they almost may have wanted to start him that game, but they didn't. They waited. And when the decision was made to bring him in, you know, there's a lot of talk about who made the decision. You know, Brian Dayball will never say, he said, you got to ask the head coach, right? But I think that was one of those things that he had played so well and was prepared. When you got, lose a guy to injury, which is different than not playing well, I think sometimes, are those other young guys ready to step up? We saw glimpses of it, but we didn't see it consistently. And I think Georgia got their weapons back when they needed it. You know, they got guys back healthy at the right time. So you're playing with some experienced guys, some guys that want to make that, that can make some plays. And then, you know, they did everything they could to bracket Bowers and took him out of the game, who's a, another freshman who we're going to talk about in a future first-round draft pick if he stays healthy on the Georgia side. I think that's just part of, part of the course. They do a good job of developing both of these programs, if you think about the players they bring along and players that end up coming to them. The development of them is outstanding. It's just Georgia was more prepared to, to seize the moment, uh, to me, in, in that instance. Last one, Charles. You played at UCLA. What's going to happen here with Chip Kelly? On the 16th, is he gone? Man, it, <laughs> it, it is so crazy. Usually I hear rumblings out of there. I can talk to people, but they've kind of bat, batting down the hatches, and it sounds like the folks that I would normally rely on to tell me stuff out of there would, would know. And it's, it's, it's one of those things that I think will come down to the last minute. The part that makes me think he will stay is that DTR hadn't declared for the draft. Right. And he's stayed, and that's why Dylan Gabriel left. But I really don't know. I really can't tell you because, you know, Tip's record hasn't been great. He hasn't done everything that folks thought they were going to do. And quite honestly – they haven't played well defensively, and I think that's some of the part is what Martin Jarman is going to have to say as the athletic director. What, what direction are we going to go in, and are we going to keep? Because offensively, they've done a nice job. Defensively, they've really struggled because I don't think they have a real true design and game plan of what they need to do, and that's going to be really critical. And if there's a force of saying, hey, you've got to make some changes on the defensive side, in particular Jerry Azanaro, I don't know if Chip was willing to do that. His loyalty might not let him, and that's going to be the deciding factor to me as to what's going to happen on the 16th. Damn. Crazy times, crazy times. Well, we appreciate you joining us to break down the title game. Thank you so much. Hey, man, y'all have a good one. Thank you. There he is, Charles R. Buckle, former UCLA Bruin, college football analyst, played in the NFL as well. And if you don't know, yeah, Chip Kelly right now, his future is uncertain, and the buyout for his deal drops to zero in just five days on January 16th. The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. 
Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today.